welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. The text I just read to you is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. As you'll see is the nature of this series, we will be in various texts throughout uh, our sermon series. We're not drilling down into one text, but we're seeing some truths across the the scope of the entirety of Scripture. And so a key text is what I just read, uh, Romans chapter uh, 3, verses 21 through 26. And perhaps you'll see why that is as we go along. Uh, But truth be told, you'll see all these sticky notes in my Bible. Uh, We'll be all over the place this morning. And so maybe you want to write some of those things down if uh, you don't want to turn along with us. Um, But just to give you a heads up about that, this morning we continue our series through the five solas. Um, The five solas, remember, we're not adding to the scripture, but simply giving a faithful summary of the scripture. And the church has done that throughout the ages. Uh, Perhaps some of you that grew up in more uh, liturgical settings know the Apostles' Creed. Uh, The Apostles' Creed is not adding to the Scripture, but it's a faithful summary of what we believe, that we believe in God the Father Almighty. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and He suffered historically under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. Do some of you remember this? And on the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And guess what? Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to make all things new. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead. And as we wait, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Sometimes it's good to have summaries of what we believe. Should someone ask you, what do you believe as Christians? Something like the Apostles' Creed is something where you say this is some of the basic truths of what we believe the Bible proclaims. Not elevating above Scripture, but saying, hey, this is a faithful summary of Scripture. And in a similar way, uh, the five solas have become a faithful summary of what salvation is in Jesus Christ. It's, it's become a faithful summary of the Bible. And these are things, uh, truths that we see kind of distilled out of the Reformation. If you were to distill the Reformation uh, out, uh, all the way down to some of the most basic things, you'll see these. Uh, it's Scripture alone that we talked about last week. Sola Scriptura. It is grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God Alone, So much like something like the Apostles' Creed might be a good summary of someone asks you, what do you believe as a Christian? This could be a great summary of, uh, hey, hey, what is the gospel all about? Well, well, let me tell you, I'm alive in Christ, and I'm loved by God forever. And this is by God's grace alone. This has been received through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And all of this is on the clear teaching and absolute authority of the scripture alone. And so I want you to see that as why we're kind of taking these themes. And by the way, October is traditionally called Reformation Month because on October 31st, 1517 is when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses on the door in the church in Wittenberg uh, wanting to uh, debate some of the things that the church was teaching at the time, hence sparking 
uh, the Reformation. As it goes with these five solas, it's hard, as I said a second ago, to drill down into one passage, which makes it hard on the preacher because we're getting this big picture, and I love going through a particular passage, um, but uh, this morning we'll go through several of them. You'll see something about the, listen for the solas in these. Let's, let's, let's listen to this. How do you see this in scripture? Listen again to Romans 3, 22 through 26, which Martin Luther said was the center of the epistle to the Romans and indeed the center of all of scripture, he would say. Listen to what it says here, that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you see the glory of God alone and are justified by his grace as a gift. This is according to grace alone, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and the work of Christ alone, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And all of this in verse 21 says, this was proclaimed and witnessed to by the law and the prophets. So the promise is for all who believe. This is the gospel. Those who cast themselves totally and completely on on the work of Christ for the glory of God alone. Some might say you will see it in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. That's a very popular passage, a very great summation of the Bible. And so what I'm getting across to you, we're talking about these five solas, we're not adding to the scripture, right? This is just a faithful summary of what the scripture tells us about the gospel. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked. If you are dead, you need grace to wake you up, to raise you to life, because you're dead. You need someone to do it for you. You are following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And, ra- and he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. This is the summation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we believe that it is by grace alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 through 11 is another summary of the gospel message. And again, you hear All of this, I would remind you, brothers, it says, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It's scripture alone. That's what we're proclaiming. This is what the book tells us that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and to others and 500. Then he appeared to James, 
And then he goes on to say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. All of that, to make it clear, what we're talking about in these five sermons is what we are exploring is a faithful summation, not just of the Reformation, but a faithful summary of the gospel, which the Reformation was all about, recovering the gospel of grace. That grace had been covered by things that were going on in the church. And, and the Reformation was, was a, a desire to re-expose that we are saved. That the book says, the Bible says, by grace alone. The first thing I want you to know this morning, besides all of that, that this is a summation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the ser- We're talking about grace alone this morning. The first thing I want you to know is that it's... Grace is everything. I'm going to say like, grace is everything or it's nothing. If it's not grace alone, then we do not have salvation. What is God's grace? God's grace is favor towards those who are undeserving of his favor. God shows favor to those who are undeserving, and he is not obligated to show favor to those who are undeserving. In other words, it is free grace. Romans chapter 3 tells us that we are saved by grace as a gift. It is a free gift given freely to us in Christ Jesus. Grace is pretty wonderful. Why would that be such a big deal? Well, historically, the church has fought, as it did in the Reformation, to keep grace grace. I think we're prone to want to contribute to our salvation. We're we're prone to want to say that we've done something. And so when someone gives us a gift, we kind of feel obligated. Well, I must do something to deserve this. I must do something to earn it. And even the church struggled with that. Even farther back than the Reformation, if you go back to the time of Augustine, you see that struggle going on as well. There's a man named Pelagius in the three and four hundreds who was teaching this this. This idea that was condemned by the church, Pelagius said, though grace may facilitate righteousness. So this is just a few hundred years after Christ. Pelagius said, though though grace may facilitate righteousness, it is not necessary to that end. In other words, there's a way to be righteous before God without the grace of God. And Augustine, Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to pronounce that, stepped in and said, no, no, nay, nay, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, Luther was an Augustinian monk, and so you kind of see some of these connections here, that Augustine was saying, no, we are saved by grace alone. And we do not need to lose that as a church, because if we don't have grace, here's my point, we don't have a gospel. If we forsake grace, we forsake the gospel. There is no gospel without grace. And so Augustine said, give me grace, Lord, to do as you command, and then command me to do what you will. In other words, he was saying, it is all grace. It is all grace. God, you must change my heart. You must change my desires, and then command me to do what you will, and by your grace alone, I will do what you command me to do. It is grace alone. And so during the Reformation, a huge issue was diminishing grace to something that could be merited through penance, indulgences, or tapping into the treasury of merit. Grace wasn't just something the Reformers thought would be good to highlight. They were saying, and we are saying, because the Bible says that grace is what makes Christianity Christianity. There is no religion in the entire world that preaches grace alone. This is what makes the, the Christianity different than all other 
religions. All other religions in some way, shape, or form are based on works. And so if we lose grace, we lose Christianity. If we lose Christianity, we lose the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luther would say in of his 95 theses, thesis number 62, I love this one, the true treasure of the church, the true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. That is the treasure of the church. And if we lose that treasure, that we are saved by grace, then we lose it all. But it wasn't just people like Luther and Augustine who said things like that. It was, you guessed it, the Scriptures. Romans chapter 11. Let me just read one short passage there. Romans chapter 11, uh, verse 6, says this. Let me turn there. It says, But if it is no longer by grace, it is... But if it is by grace... Let me read that again. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. If it is by grace... It is no longer on the basis of works. Other words, otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Romans chapter 1.16 says the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of, of grace is the power of God unto salvation. If we lose grace, we lose everything. And the Bible is clear that it is by grace alone. So the first thing that I want you to know this morning is grace is everything. If we lose grace, we lose everything, and we do not have a gospel. And we believe that we are saved by grace alone. This is the second thing that I want you to know this. If we lose grace, we lose everything. The second thing that I want you to know this morning is grace is the story of Scripture. From cover to cover. So I want you to see big picture this morning that this is not just something that pops up in in Romans. This is not just something that pops up in the New Testament. But this is the story of God showing grace to undeserving people. In fact, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3.18 that inheritance, our inheritance in Christ, comes not through the law but was given by a promise. Our inheritance, everything that we have in Christ comes by grace. The story of Scripture, the story of the Old Testament is that we sinned and God responded with grace. That we rebelled against God and God responded with grace time and time again. And not only does He respond in grace, He responds with covenants of grace. In other words, he responds to us with promises of grace, not just showing us grace, but promising to continue to show grace and ultimately to show us grace in Christ Jesus. We see it throughout the Old Testament where God gives these covenantal promises to his people. Remember in the garden where man rebelled against God, man sinned against God. This is the story of Scripture. Genesis 3.15, he made a promise to these rebellious people who did not trust God. I promise to come and crush the serpent. I promise to come and deal with this sin and death. I promise to come and do that. And God promised through grace to undeserving, rebellious people that I am going to fulfill this by grace, that God clothed them and sent them out, the gar- out of the garden. 
God promised in Noah that he would withhold judgment from humanity. And in fact, he did so by making this covenantal promise, this covenant of grace, this promise. He, he hangs his bow into the, into the clouds and promises he will never judge the world in that way again. And as the Jesus Storybook Bible so beautifully points out that bow is pointing into the heart of heaven, proclaiming to us that judgment will fall upon his son and we will go safely through. He promises to crush the serpent. He promises to make a way so that judgment is withheld and we can pass through freely. He makes a promise to Abram. He promises by his grace. Abram was an idol worshiper, but God, but he found favor with the Lord. God showed him grace and said, Abram, through you, I will bless the nations through your offspring. And by the way, that offspring was Christ. He promises righteousness as he gives the law through Moses. And he promises that he will fulfill that law. And he gives he, he, gives his, he gives his law, he gives this sacrificial system of, of what to do when, when you break that law and how to be right before the Lord. And he's pointing them to one day there will be a final sacrifice. It's all grace. He promises to send one who will rule the nations forever as he makes this covenant with David. He promises to even his wayward people in Jeremiah that one day he will establish an everlasting covenant. He keeps promising. He keeps being gracious, for he is a God who is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithful and merciful. And he makes all of these promises to undeserving people that he will show grace to us. And so the story of the Bible, the story of the Old Testament, this is not just a New Testament idea or New Testament truth. This is the story of the Scripture, sola scriptura. What is the Bible about? It's about the grace of God. Towards rebellious people, he makes promises that you will have an inheritance. You will have eternal life. You will, as it were, return to the presence of God. You will return to the garden by the grace of God. Of God, I will crush the serpent. I will help. I will make a way for you to safely pass through judgment. I will rule and reign over you as a perfect king, much better than David. I will fulfill the law that you cannot keep and provide the perfect sacrifice that you do not have. Grace, grace, grace. And so, when we get to the New Testament, we hear in John chapter one, verses twelve through sixteen, as we prayed through before. But all who did receive him, all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That is grace. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16 of John chapter 1 says, from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Why do I tell you that? Because in Jesus Christ, we receive grace upon grace. That this is the only way that we receive grace. Grace is found only in Jesus Christ. So all of these promises of the Bible, all of these promises of the covenant of grace, find their fulfillment 
in Jesus Christ. He is the yes and amen of all the promises of God. All the promises of grace that he gave to his people are found in Jesus Christ. Here's what we see about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So first I want you to say, uh, the first thing I wanted you to note is that if there is no grace, then there is no gospel. The second thing I want you to know that this is the story of Scripture, the covenant of grace. And the third thing I want you to know that grace is particularly found in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a couple things about this grace is that this grace is costly. For the word took on flesh. He, he humbled himself. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And Romans 3.25 says that God put Jesus Christ forward as a propitiation for our sin. Romans 3.25 says that. That he is our substitute, that he takes the penalty for our sin, that he takes the wrath of God for us. Grace is costly. The Son of God humbled, obedient, and suffered all grace, costly grace. He would destroy sin and death as he promised in Genesis 3.15. And he did it by taking the judgment we all deserve. By blessing us, as we saw in the covenant of Abraham, by giving us life for us. By declaring us righteous as what they could not do through the law of Moses. The law was powerless to save them. By declaring us righteous through his perfect fulfillment of the law as our perfect sacrifice. And by taking a crown of thorns, he exercises his sovereign authority in such a way that these weak subjects, you and I, receive his grace. He is the perfect king. He has done it at the cost of his son, and this grace is free. I love how Charles, how Spurgeon wrote, he said, he wore my crown, the crown of thorns, and now I wear his crown, the crown of glory. He gives us his grace and gives us his grace freely for all who would believe. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Let's connect the dots here. All these covenantal promises of grace that God made through the Scripture... As, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, that our inheritance comes not through the law, but our, our inheritance comes through a promise. All these promises of grace find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ, and they're all by grace. So yes, Christian, listen, listen to this. Listen to what we are freely given at the cost of Christ. Our perfect sacrifice, the substitute who stood in our place, God put him forward as a propitiation for our sin. Listen to this. It cost him his life. He gave his life for us. This grace is free. Because all the promises of God are received by, by faith, and they're all by grace. They're given as a gift. Yes, the serpent has been crushed. Yes, So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, you have safely passed through the waters in Christ. That you pass through the waters of judgment. And judgment no longer falls upon you because it's fallen upon Christ. And so you do not have to worry about the waters of judgment. For you go safely through Christ. Just as he promised. There, yes in Jesus Christ. Will I go through the waters of judgment? Yes, For you are in Christ, and that's the grace that God has shown to you. Yes, you are an heir of Abraham and recipients of his blessing. For all who are in Christ are 
the offspring, the children of Abraham. Yes, the demands of the law, the law that hurls its accusations against you and saying, you don't measure up. The law's demands have been met in Jesus Christ, our perfect sacrifice. Yes, yes, that's true of you by grace as a gift through the work of Christ. Yes, yes, you have a good and righteous king, better than King David, who is sovereignly working all things together for good. You have a king you can trust. Yes, because of Christ. And this is all by grace. Isn't grace wonderful? Isn't it wonderful what God has done for us? Why would we want to cover that over? It's by grace alone. All the promises of God for the good of his people find their yes in Christ. He confirms them. He secures them. He purchases them with his own precious blood. By the blood, all these covenants of the new covenants, these are sealed in the blood of Christ. The perfect sacrifice. So every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs, finds God coming to him in Christ with all of his promises. When a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ by grace, so sinners can meet God in Christ by grace. What we hear is yes. Because all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. If we come to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son, do you love me? Yes. Yes, by grace, yes. Will you forgive me? Yes. Will you accept me? Yes. You are my child. Will you help me change? Yes. Will you give me power to serve you? Yes. Will you keep me and bring me all the way home? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes. And I've sealed this all with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This is the promise of the new covenant for all who believe. All the blessings of God and Christ are yes, yes, yes for all who believe. All received as a gift by grace. It's grace. We find grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace in Jesus Christ. The last thing I want you to know, I want you to see that if we throw grace out, we throw the gospel out. It has to be all grace. If it becomes by any type of works, then it's no longer grace. It's no longer grace. It's no longer the gospel. The second thing I want you to see as quickly as we could in our time this morning is that that's the storyline of the Bible. It's a story of grace from cover to cover. The third thing I wanted you to see is that we find grace upon grace in Jesus Christ, that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. The final thing that I want you to see this morning is that we are people of grace, that we are called to be people of grace. We are saved people. Acts chapter, what does it mean to be a people of grace? That we are saved people. Acts 18, 27 says that all who believe, believe through grace. 
that we are not made alive by good works. We are resurrected by grace. When God found us, he found us dead, and dead means dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We won't read it again, but that is a key text to this. And he raised us up with Christ. We are spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. And now in Jesus Christ, God is 100% for us. It is all grace. If God is for us, who could be against us? That's who you are in Christ. You are a saved person. Amen. It's a gift. It's a free gift. You are saved. This is what it means to be a people of grace. You are saved. You are resurrected. You are alive. You are secure. You are loved. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. I am what I am because of grace. It is all grace. So we are people of grace. So your identity is now grace. Grace. I'm loved. I'm saved. I'm resurrected. I'm alive. I'm secure. I'm loved. God is for me because he is for Christ and I am in Christ. And hopefully this would naturally come out if we are saved people. So what does it look like to be people of grace? Transformed by grace. First saved, resurrected, alive, secure, loved by God. Number two, if we are people of grace, we're joyful people. Grace like this should produce joy beyond measure in us. Should it not? If this is true, and it is because the Bible tells us it is true, then we must be the people who are most joyful. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 says. It says, it's all for your sake, so that grace extends grace to more and more people, that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Knowing all of this should increase our thanksgiving. In fact, I mentioned him earlier Augustine, I'm no historian on Augustine, but I read a short biography on Augustine this week. He was alive, as I said earlier, between 354 and 430, so just a few hundred years after Christ. Now, not everything that Augustine wrote was gospel truth. We believe in sola scriptura, but he helped us to understand some things. And as he confronted Pelagius, who said that there is a way to be righteous without grace, that that was then rejected Augustine says, listen to this, we're talking about joy. Here's how he described God's grace. God, grace, let me, grace is God's giving us sovereign joy. So we're people who are saved by grace, we're joyful people. God's giving us sovereign joy in God that triumphs over joy in sin. If you know anything about Augustine's life, his first 30 plus years were unbelievably marked by sin. And he realized the only way that he could change was if God by his grace changed his heart and if God would resurrect his heart, then God in that grace would then give him joy in God, a joy that was so much so that it would give him more joy than sin and so that he would follow God by grace because the joy of God was greater than joy over sin. It's much like Sola Scriptura, Psalm chapter 51. Let's go back to the scripture. What did David pray? God created me a clean heart. Out of nothing, the word there created is baraz. Like in the beginning, God created the world out of nothing. Out of this dead heart, create nothing. Out of nothing, create something. Created me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. And then we say, restore to me the joy 
of my salvation. So Augustine was echoing that. Saving grace in Augustine's view, saving grace in David's view, Psalm 51, is God giving us joy in God that triumphs all over all other joys and sways our will to do his. Oh, if we know what God has given us in Jesus Christ, that we are saved, that we're resurrected, that we are loved, that we are secure, that God is for us, this will birth in us a joy that will empower us, empowered by grace to follow the Lord. So we are a saved people, we are a joyful people, and we are a working people. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that, that we are saved by grace. The Bible is clear about that. Couldn't be more clear that we are saved by grace. And what does Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tell us? That we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so keeping his commandments. So we are a working people. Salvation is not a result of works, but salvation by grace results in good works. That we're loved by God, and this is not a result of commandment keeping. This is a result of sovereign grace. But when we know that we are loved by God, and our hearts are changed by God, and that we have joy in God, then we live for God. 1 John 5, 3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That was Augustine was talking about. His commandments are no longer burdensome because he has given us A joy that is unspeakable. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 says, His grace trains us to act according to your grace. That's why someone like Augustine would say, God, give me grace and command me to do what you will. Give me grace and command me to do what you will. That we are saved by grace and then empowered by grace. And that is how grace empowers. He graciously gives us what we need and graciously gives us joy in him that leaves us satisfied in what he gives. This will change our speech, Colossians 4, 6. Our speech is seasoned with graciousness. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. We're bounding in good works as a result of grace, not a helper of grace, but we are empowered by grace alone. Brothers and sisters, I... Hope that's clear. I hope that causes our hearts to sing that in Jesus, in his fullness, we have received grace upon grace, that all the promises of God are yes in him. That's the story of Scripture. That is what we see in Christ. That is now our story for those who are in Christ and all who believe he gives a right to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. 2 Timothy 2.1, grace is our strength. 2 Corinthians 12.9, his grace is sufficient for us. For his power is made perfect in our weakness. Romans 1.16, his grace is power. The gospel is power. So, church, let's revel in the grace of God. Let's revel in the joy of the Lord. May the Lord restore our joy as he restores our vision of grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.